Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Bernie Wright. Bernie is a counsellor and psychotherapist and is also the clinical director for NED, which is an organisation which supports neurodiverse individuals with eating disorders and disordered eating. Bernie conducts lots of training in order to make sure that eating disorder treatment addresses the fact that everybody is diverse and requires different support. We talk about this in this week's episode and how people that are neurodiverse and actually anybody needs to have a person-centred approach when it comes to their treatment. We explore lots of different stereotypes that may exist in eating disorder treatment, so really hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, bye Alex. We had a bit of a problem getting on. Hello there, how are you? Thanks you. You're, you've managed though and you're here before me, which is amazing, so thank you so much. My <laughs> pleasure. So what do, you need? what do you need from me now then? Let me just make sure I'm, I've got everything here. Yes? No, I think we're all good. Um, I don't think we need anything. I love all the flowers behind you. They look gorgeous. Oh, no, it just makes me just happy. Oh, that's so lovely. They're all happy sunflowers and yeah, they're, they're all lovely, lovely bright colours. We're very happy in this house. Hang on, let me just look at this. So we finally meet Hannah. It's been a... I know. Um, it has been... It has been a very long time, which is why when you text, uh, when you emailed me or whatever and said, can I have the link? I was like, I put it in the email. But I realised because we set this up so long ago, I used to not send it out in the email. Yeah. Which is why it wasn't then in your email. So, yeah, we, I don't know when we first started talking to do oh, this. Well, 100 years ago, but never mind. We're here now. <laughs> we're here now. We absolutely um, are. So what do you want from me? I haven't got earphones because I don't wear earphones, but I've got everything. That's fine. For some bizarre, great reason, there's no feedback. And normally there is feedback if people don't wear headphones. So um, you must just be a very good oh, I'm, person. I'm a feedback. I'm a feedbackless person. Um, <laughs> so, cool. okay. So shall we get started? Yep. Yeah, you can off. You can you can roll. Yeah. I'll Amazing. Um, so. I wanted to speak to you today um, to talk about neurodivergence and the intersection with eating disorders. I think over the past few years, I've noticed more and more people speaking about the link and the impact that either one has had on the other and finding out about either one and the impact that it's had on each other. So I wondered if you wanted to start by, I guess, just giving an overview of who you are um, and what you do. Yeah, I'll do whatever you want, Hannah. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so laid back, honestly, I'm comatose. Um, So just (laughs) just, just start and I'll just, just, you do your bit and then I'll just, I'll just follow. No, we've started. If you just want to start by telling the listeners. Are we recording already? Yeah. Oh, okay. I better stop behaving myself. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. Um, I tend to do it. It's super casual, so I just I just start recording because otherwise people then put on their like 
posh voices and I'm like no 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 go back to the person you were when we were just chatting so yeah mm-hmm. tell good. us who you are what you do and mm-hmm. how you got there um, I'm Bernie Wright um I run Ned Training I worked for the National Centre for Eating Disorders for many years I was a clinical lead with them and uh, extremely passionate about eating disorders and it was not so long back ago that well many years back um, I realised that there is a significant link between the neurodivergent individual and someone who suffers with eating disorders and indeed disordered eating. Um, I am neurodivergent myself and it was for me I found that eating disorders we we can get into from my own professional perspective a prescriptive way of working with the, this client group you know like if you do a and you do b and you do c you will get x y z and actually that is so far from the truth if you're working with someone who is neurodivergent because we have to really very much meet them in their world as they are not as we are ever ever mm-hmm. yeah brilliant <laughs> Um, and I yeah so many questions um I (laughs) I want to come on to the treatment later and explore the differences um or you know how treatment should be approached but just before we get into that I just want to just in case someone's listening and they've not heard of the term neurodivergent before can you just describe what that means Okay, so it's basically that if we're neurodivergent, it means we just we, our brains are just differently wired in a way. Um, so I, if you meet anyone who's um, autistic, dyslexic, dyspraxic, um, ADHD, or ADHD and um, autistic, which is sort of a combination of both, um, there's lots of other. It's a huge, diverse umbrella. I mean, we're all neurodivergent. We're all neurodiverse. Um, mm-hmm. but there's a difference in being actually neurodivergent. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned when you were talking there at the start about the link between eating disorders and um, be, like neurodiversity. What kind of, because I know there's so much research that started coming out, and what would you say is the link there between eating disorders and neurodivergent? Well, it, it seems to be a real interplay. Um, so, mm. for example, if people who are um, ADHD, for example, they may well well be very much more prone to developing um, a binge eating disorder. Okay. I mean, I think what this, I think that whoever you talk to, it, it sort of tends to differ, um, Hannah. But we were only actually having a supervisory meeting this morning uh, and the uh, mm. universe, so we were discussing this very subject. And I said, I asked all the uh, professionals, and they were all eating disorder specialists and all work with neurodivergent. And I asked every one of them, so, you know, how many would you say in your current client group? And they're all extremely experienced professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, and they basically said that they felt between 60 and 70% of all of their client group would be neurodivergent, whether it's ADHD, autistic, dyslexic, you know, or, of course, it's co-occurring. Um, so myself, for example, I'm ADHD, dyslexic, dyspraxic, I had dyscalculia, you know, lots of things that can co-occur alongside mm-hmm. each, um, each, each uh, whatever, whatever label, and I'm not a label person, whatever we're actually called, however we're called. Yeah. 
And with the ADHD and binge eating disorder, do you have any thoughts around that as to as to why that's a common occurrence? Um, well, I can speak for yeah for for from my own experience being ADHD and for lots of uh, you know, and it'd be great if you could actually have Lisa Spitty as the co-director who works for me. Um, and, and people mm. who are ADHD, they 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 they're very much sort of that dopamine seeking, that sort of neurotransmitter, right. sort of uh, looking looking for a high almost like a comfort mm. it's give you lots of comfort and um and and so someone who's ADHD may be less likely to have that attention so for example way back I would say I would qualify quite beautifully with binge eating because mm. I would get so hyper focused I do not believe for a minute that H ADHD we say um is a lack of attention. I think that people mm. with ADHD have got a huge amount of attention if it's something that actually there is an interest to them. So I can mm. you know, talk to you, Hannah, all day and all week about psychotherapy, counselling, um, working <laughs> with your individual. Yeah, I just love it. You ask me to fill in my tax returns. It's not that I <laughs> want to. It's literally I can't. You know, and I'm, yeah. I suppose, you know, many people who are, or ADHD here, or whatever we are, maybe nodding their head. Um, and I, I do think that Halloway does um, a far better in his book, ADHD 2.0. If anyone wants to buy it, it's great. Um, and he does talk about VAST, which is the variable attention stimulus traits, which I think is far more respectful. You know, mm -hmm. so it's a variation of, of your concentration, mm -hmm. it's not an absolute. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I mean, this is just me kind of uh, talking as I'm thinking. But when you were talking there about that sort of hyper focus and ability to really concentrate on something, if it's something that you're passionate about, have you seen a link between ADHD and anorexia? Because I would assume that that sort of fixation on weight loss and numbers and calories might be something that comes up yeah, and and we have to be really careful with uh with obviously with because uh, because uh, anorexia can can almost mimic in some way the the, the um mm. of mind so we've got to be really careful with anorexia nervosa and um, neurodiversions that we we ensure that the person is acting in an anorexic mindset because their brain is starved and of course the, the starved brain in anorexia nervosa can mimic um can mimic or you know the sort of autistic traits so to speak in some ways like that total sort of as you just said quite beautifully that 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 mind start the, the obsession with calories the, the but from my experience the the difference may be that um with the um anorexic who is not neurodivergent there may be a, 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 a the obsession with with being with not with be, being thin may not be of course it can but it, it may be missing with the um, autistic individual in in, in so right. many ways so what i always suggest that people do is if you're working especially with young people um, I would say, you know, to the, the parents or the people who know them best, you know, what was your child like before mm. the anorexia took hold, before the, there was the, the voice started screaming at them to do A to mm. B, the, the bullying voice of the anorexia nervosa, the, the, the voice. Um, and, and, of course, people who are neurodivergent, it, it, they may not 
get that voice the anorexics get it may be too too much of a construct for them so we have to be really careful with the parents to, to find out what was your child like before and they might say, well, yeah. so easy going. There was never a worry in the world. And there were the sort of, although obviously autistic people could be extroverts, but, but they were, there was just, there was no anxiety. There was just very, very different. Then you, then you may think this could be a person who is purely um, suffering from the awfulness of anorexia nervosa, mm. um, as opposed to being neurodivergent. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question of, how do you determine sort of it's almost like the chicken and the egg situation you know how do you determine which um which one is i don't want to say real but you know if somebody's displaying the neurodivergent symptom the characteristics and they've got an eating disorder like you know how do you separate that would you say that the only way to do that is to look at their previous self or to like wait it out kind of once they've come out of the eating disorder or are there other things that you can do I'm very 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 curious about what happened before the per you know what what was the what was the personality style like mm. so from my experience working with people you know there's a case of the the they may have been the neurodiver if they're neurodivergent they are neurodiversion it's something we're born with it's something we are it is who we are that is never going to change mm. um and yet if the brain is starved the anorexic mind the anorexic personality style may present as if they are autistic in, right in that very sort of rigid black and white nothing the rules the regulations what one has to do what 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 is you know all those very safe 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 foods the safe mm. way of being um and of course if and if they are um neurodivergent uh we need to work with a neurodivergent individual in a very much person-centered way and you meet them mm. very much as they are not as we are and that comes on so so nicely to what I was going to ask in my next question is how to word this. So when, let's say I, somebody who is neurotypical, go to an eating disorder treatment team and I have anorexia, therefore I, you know, get put on a path of some sort of treatment, which I, I don't personally believe that we should be blanket state, you know, blanket treating anybody. Um but that's just how it is. Somebody then comes along who is neurotypical, uh, neurodiverse, sorry, and they, you know, have a different uh, line of treatment because of their neurodiversity. How does that look? Because you've just said that, you know, somebody with anorexia could be, you know, very rigid, very pattern based, you know, having to do something in specific numbers. And that's the kind of thing in treatment we're trying to break people away from because that's so driven by their eating disorder. But then if somebody's autistic, that's not going to be something that we're trying to, you know, help them recover from because that's a characteristic that is part of them. So how do you go about supporting somebody in that way if they do have an eating disorder, but equally they have autism, they've got ADHD, they're neurodiverse? I think, I, mean, I suppose I'm very much of, 
always as a, as a practitioner I'm very person-centered regardless of who I have in front of me mm. and I think that yes I absolutely understand totally the, the rules and the regulations that we need to throw away if we're going to recover long term for any eating disordered or disordered eating behavior and yet people who are neurodivergent and they go into to in, into um into eating disorder units although that is changing i know thank goodness which it really had to so you know so before we would be thinking if someone said oh my goodness that clock on the wall is just driving me mad and of course sit with the sensory issues of someone who is autistic Mm. it might be like someone actually banging them on the head with a hammer but then they've had that sort of total insulting words thrown at them for so many years. Oh, yes, that's the voice talking. Mm. You know, and of course, no, that damn clock's nearly killing me. You know, please take it away. Um, and then if we think about a person who has got some sort of huge sensory issues within it or, or, um, or finds socialising excruciating, you know, and I come from a whole family of autistic um, people. I'm not myself, um, but it's a case of you know we have to really think about um, putting people into 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 group therapy, for example, um, when they find that excruciating, uh, and yet it can be absolutely brilliantly fantastic for so many other people. But it's something about just the person. If we hit everyone with hammer, they'll all look like a nail. So it's like just each person is so individual, whether they are neurodivergent or neurotypical or whatever. I think that's where, um, from my experience, I think that's sometimes where we may make life harder for ourselves as practitioners Mm -hmm. and indeed harder for, for the people we work with. That's my opinion, and I'm sure lots of people would say they disagree, but that's absolutely fine. That's what's so wonderful about being people with opinions. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you've highlighted something really important there in that we need a person-centred approach regardless of whether somebody is neurodiverse or neurotypical. And I think because, you know, we need that because if, if you know people may have different accessibility um needs or you know different behaviors and things like that but equally people have got different you know different traumas different triggers that sort of thing mm-hmm. and so by just giving somebody a form of treatment that is supposedly going to help them you know it's missing so many nuances and I think you know that's been my personal experience of I've had an eating disorder for 10 years now mm-hmm. and only in the past year have I had a person-centered approach and have I now started making headway in my recovery because it's it's been focused on you know the things that I struggle with and what I need which is completely different to the next person but I think one thing that I found really interesting that I've seen on kind of social media from people that I follow that are you know raising the voice of um eating sodas and, and neurodiversity is the whole thing about around behaviors and i so i just wondered what your perspective was and, and maybe it varies for you know different people but let's say an individual has to have a certain weight of a food or they have to eat with a certain spoon or you know certain kind of crockery or whatever in a standard normal let's say not not normal but like you know your classic eating disorder treatment center 
those sorts of things would be thrown out the window. You know, they are coping mechanisms that you're using to, you know, feel safer and you need to kind of get rid of those in order to recover from your eating disorder. But from what I've seen with people with neurodiversity is that those sorts of behaviours help to ground them and to sort of regulate their emotions. So how do you pick apart in a, in a very specific instance like that? Because obviously you can look back at someone's history and say, you know, they actually they were autistic when they were younger. They displayed those characteristics. But in that moment, how do you know this is a characteristic of my neurodiversity that is OK or this is a behaviour of my eating disorder that's really holding me back? I think once again, um, and I think we will always be autistic if we are autistic. Well, we will always be neurodivergent if we are neurodivergent. That is the, the that is the absolute. Um, and I just think, Hannah, it's something about as you were talking and saying about you've got to, you know that's just your your eating sort of behaviour and that's sort of the the manipulation of the voice, so to speak. I think what you're saying, we've got to throw all those behaviours mm. out. And as you were saying that, I found my stomach sort of getting really anxious. Um, because it, you know, it, just sort of thinking of the anxiety that I picked up from so many, so many people I've worked with, and you know, I think that yes, the idea is that we we live a life that is free of um, the, the the relentless bullying, the tyrant of the eating disorder. Absolutely, hundred percent. I could not agree more with every practitioner who works towards that aim. But it's something about you know. I will very much work with for the choices, you know, in a way that you you say, okay, so, you know, we're here. If we should do X, Y, and Z, what about Y and Z would you want to do? You know, something about really being, I mean, and I don't, I don't, I really don't care if someone wants to stand on their head and eat. I really think it's, <laughs> you know, I've done, I've done assessments running around, my, they're running around my garden if they can't sit still. You know, it's, mm. it's, 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 I've actually had people I work with who have actually sat with their back to me because they can't bear to be in the room with me, you know, and mm. that's okay too. It's like, and that I think is why if we, if we just see the person as they are, a mm. total individual, whether they're neurodivergent or neurotypical or neuro whatever, um, I think we have got such a better chance of, you know, and of course, if they, if they, if they've got a, a type of autism which is a PDA, which is a pathological defence avoidance, um, any demand, any demand is is going to be taken as a de absolute demand, and they're not going to do it. So you've mm. got, I mean, that's a totally huge other subject. I've probably say even said the word wrong because my dyspraxia often means I do get my words wrong. Um, but it's a case of um, they, they will just find it, they will not do it, end of. Mm. So it's, you know, and, and unless we start looking at everybody, you know, as they are, um, and it's it's very easy to put a blanket over each and every human being. Mm. So this is what we do. This is what works. But from my experience of the amount of times and years I've worked and the amount of people that I've had who are in and out like revolving doors the patients that go in and come out and go in and come out well you know if i had a pound for every one of them i've worked with over the years um they don't need to be revolving doors i think if we start off in early interventions right at that early age of when they catch 
they don't catch uh, when they when they when they, when they are prone to that dreadful dreadful illness that just hijacks the very soul of the person. And and, and 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 what we do, what we do, and I'm very passionate about this, Hannah. We then wait. They go into impatience, and there for a while, they come out. They go back in. They come out. They go back in, and then they become totally so seasoned. And I've had so many people like that. They can, you know, they're, they're so therapeutic. Doubt they sound like I do. <laughs> it's like surely you didn't want to sound like I do, you know. Uh, and and I think that's the problem. I think that's the problem, isn't it? Is that we and I think this is the thing that we've got to somehow navigate and work out how we're actually going to resolve because it would be so fantastic if somebody went to their doctor or you know went to somebody and said I think I've got an eating disorder I need support but what happens in so many situations is oh sorry your weight's not low enough or you know your your symptoms we're not quite um you're not quite ticking all the boxes please come back if you feel any worse people then come back and they're severely worse they've had x amount of months or years more with the eating disorder which means the behaviors are so much more ingrained and then we put them into a treatment program that is so broad and really only works for those that have had a short-term illness that then the people that are put into that treatment program like you say are just revolving your patients and we end up spending so much more money because we are spending so much time with the same people which means the waiting list gets longer people are then sicker for longer and so we're not treating them but where where do we even begin to change that because at the moment like i i don't see anything coming in to sort of you know be a blocker at each stage of that I think we've got some things that are you know aiming to support people at a younger age or you know a shorter duration but which is great and then that means that the waiting lists go down because they're not on the waiting list because they're able to get support but if you're not able to get support in the first place because you're turned away and told you're not sick enough the whole process needs to be working together oh and I could be here for the next two weeks talking about this conversation. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, it makes me so very, very, very furious. And I think that the the whole idea, I don't even think we have an absolute idea. We talk, we banter numbers around about how many people suffer from anorexia or eating disorders within the UK. I don't think we've got remotely the right idea. If you think of people like me and everybody that's been trained um, with when I worked for the National Centre for Eating Disorders for so many years, and everybody, all of us that are out there, uh, there's hundreds and hundreds of us who are private practitioners, that, and they, and people sort of they won't even get into the system because they come to people like myself. Although I do, I will hand up, I have worked low cost, no cost for many years. Um, but I did go back into a one-to-one because I don't work. I train now and supervise the work of the practitioners. But when we went into COVID, I did go back um, on a one-to-one basis for, for for a couple of years. And I felt very angry at the time that the people who came to me and to all of my colleagues and my supervisees, were, they managed to get in and out of their eating disorder really quite quickly. Because they, they had people who, you know, who access to, and it's dreadful that it's people who can afford it. 
Um, equally, though, I do think that if we if we stop doing what we're doing, we could afford it because it costs a fortune. I, I don't even know because I'm very. I got to calculus. calculus. I'm dreadful at mathematics, but even I know that we are wasting absolute millions on what we're doing now. And if we do, if we just get, if we get the, the, the team in, you know, the nutrition, the dietitian, the pharmacologist, we need it, um, people who actually can support right at the early stages of an eating disorder, we wouldn't have people who are evolving doors and we wouldn't have people who spend their lives totally wasted with an eating disorder that was theirs, never theirs to have. It's terrible. You know, really, it makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. But where where do you think like because my problem with this is that everyone's saying that everybody is saying that's what we need to do it doesn't seem to be happening. So where do you think the blocker is? Um, Han, that's a great great question. I don't know. I mean, no. I rattled um, on social media for so so long, as most of, I'm sure many people have actually known me for, from social media and from stacks and stacks and stacks of people out there like yourselves, and uh, so many other people that I know who are doing brilliant jobs. Um, and it's almost like our voices have just fell on to into a, in, into a void, into a void. Um, so I'm now spending a lot more of my time, so I tend to campaign far less than I did. Um, and now I'm just working very much on training people and training people and training people um, if, yeah. and seeing if perhaps we can get we can get it that way. Because I don't know, Han, I really don't. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah. I just don't know when the evidence is so there. You know, people do know that if you get the right experience in at the beginning – and if you get the right nutrition, we feed the mind, we feed the body, we feed the soul. We use all sorts of other ways, movement, yoga, mindfulness, all stacks and stacks of stuff we can do to change the world and the lives of people. But no, we don't. We just tell them they're not in enough, they're not sick enough. And how dreadful is that for an anorexic, whether they're atypical, whether they're in a larger body, smaller body, to say they're not ill enough? Wow. It's the only thing they're working so hard at. They were doing brilliantly, thank you very much. And yet they've got, I mean, because we do know that, you know, someone who's anorexic, well, the first thing they're going to do, they're going to walk into a ward full of very ill people and look at the one who's on the tube and think, I'm not as ill as that person. So, wow. You know, you don't need, yeah. you don't need to have an O level to work at. That's not going to work, let alone a degree. But I think, I think that shows the lack of understanding and i'm not i'm not blaming anybody here because i think that the resources and the funding is just not in place for people to learn or for people to have access to this information um but that was exactly my experience was that age 14 i was diagnosed with atypical anorexia and just that that diagnosis in it, in of itself whether anybody had said to me you know you're not sick enough your weight's not low enough or anything the fact that i had been striving so much for one thing and then I was it was told that it was atypical I'm now 26 thankfully I've turned a corner but up until a year ago I was still striving to be you know that that anorexia rather than the atypical anorexia and that's what is the difference I just see it for me Han, Han I don't know well, what it is 
I think that that atypical label needs to be thrown in the bin. And I think from from my experience, an an anorexic is an anorexic, regardless of what name you want to call them, the mindset, the pain, the trauma, the anguish, it's all the same. It's not just Mm. given to the people who are um, deemed to be so ill they should be in hospital. It's wrong. But I think it's it's the the power or the way of the disease regardless because I always remember saying to my therapist you know if I just got to the point where I was diagnosed with anorexia rather than atypical anorexia I'd be happy and she was like no you won't though you You will not be because you you'll reach that and there'll be another goal and there'll be another person next to you that you know is quote unquote more sick than you and you'll be aiming for that and I think that's the thing that's misunderstood about anorexia in itself is that it's like to listen to so much or I've had sat there in so many sessions where they've been like you know you're going to lose your period and you're going to lose this and your bones are going to be damaged and all this and I'm like but don't you understand that that's the point Mm -hmm. it's it's a slow burning form of self-harm that the reason I'm doing this is because I don't want to be healthy Mm -hmm. um and I think that's what we're really misunderstanding is that when you tell me, you know, oh, your weight's still healthy and, and you're not going to have these complications because your weight's fine. It's like, well, I'm just going to push harder then. Oh, I, I mean, what, what sense? I mean, I, just, I always say when I'm training, you know, forget it. Stop this. You do know you're going to die from this. You know, mm. you do know your teeth are going to fall out or your heart's going to give up or A, B, C and D. Fear is not a motivator. It's not a motivator. You know yourself, you know, you more than anyone know that it's not going to make any difference. Mm. You're still not going to think you're sick enough. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, and I, I, from my experience, the only, the only change I see happening, um, and I don't work one-to-one anymore, as I said, but, you know, people had to get really sick and tired of being sick and tired. And Yes. <laughs> And, and 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 my supervisees, they've put it beautifully. You know, one said to me the other last week, honestly, Bernie, I'm like the judge and jury. I'm saying, you know, <laughs> it's like we're in a courtroom. I'm trying to get it to yeah. sense. And I said, no, do not even attempt to be a judge and jury. You know, because, mm. yeah, yeah, and the and the times when I've done it, Han, I've done it when I've been scared, uh, when the client's getting really, really very ill. Um, and I started sort of uh, bargaining and and sounding like a judge, you know, and and trying to be the voice of reason. Well, no, I just I end up being the, just the voice that they just rather shut. They're just thinking, shut up. I know far better. You're talking total yeah. crap, and I know best. So it's like, yeah. and and we're still doing that. We're still attempting to reason with someone who is is too ill. To, to to understand in that moment, despite the incredible intelligence <laughs> and the incredible mm. um, way of being, but we need to, mm. to we need to to get to that person without being the judge and the jury. Yeah, I think it's what you just said there. To, you... to death when it's not going to work. No, what you said there about they have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. I think you have absolutely knocked the nail on the head. Um, in my experience anyway, you know, I really, that phrase, if you have to hit rock bottom, 
that was that was the only that was the only saving grace for me was the fact that I just got so sick of being sick. Um, and even now, you know, as as recovery goes on, and you think, oh, you know, it's very tempting to go back there, um, back to that really mm-hmm. sick place. But then you start to, as recovery goes on, you start to see the things that you've been missing out on. You start to gain a little bit more energy and the engagement and things like that. But I just wanted to ask you a bit more about the training that you do. Um, so why why did you start the training um, that you do? What was what did you think was so important there? Um, the neurodivergent individual, and mm-hmm. I felt that I'd worked predominantly most of my. Um, I suppose it takes one to know one being neurodivergent myself, and recognizing what basically would what what as been in therapy myself you know what worked for me and what definitely wouldn't work for me and uh and on saying that you know everyone's different so even whatever we are however we present um we are going to still be very very different but fundamentally um people sort of saying to to someone like me fill the you know fill the food diary in or do this or do that and and so we we talk an awful lot about non-compliant and treatment resistant well from my experience of the non-compliant and treatment resistant there's a large percentage of people in neurodivergent in there and that you know filling in forms is hell on earth you know making phone calls phoning up a therapist you know and and for example you know I, i work very much when i'm training to the the work starts with the client as even before they come you know for some people actually phoning up and making speaking on the telephones like a, a trauma literally it's unbearable for some people to talk on the phone um for some people filling out loads of forms doing food diaries you know expecting and, and if if people have got very very low self internal awareness and perception of what's going on inside they you know if you say just eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full so a lot of people have got no they don't know when they're hungry they don't know when they're thirsty they've got no idea um so it's so it's actually us being able to talk and work with the clients and all, and all of this getting them to understand their bodies inside and out from inside and out and then you get so much further with people. So, yeah, and it, it was, it's my passion. Um, and I've trained for a long time now. And I so I just felt that, and diversity, I mean, for diversity of, of every description. So in, in our training, we've got, we do everything, you know, um, and, and, and work with everyone as they are, whoever they are, whatever culture, creed, whoever they are. And of course, in eating disorders, I also feel that that we we don't talk enough about religion and culture. Um, and mm-hmm. religion's got a huge amount. So that's another huge subject, um, and we do train mm-hmm. on that as a, as a as a diversity as well. So, yeah, just that's why probably I just felt it was for me it was important um, that one mm-hmm. in five people are neurodivergent, and I felt that we need to start giving them that support. You know. Yeah. And and having treatment yeah. that would fit them and mm. them in their world. I'm quite interested about the aspect of interoception and sensory difficulties there. Like, if you, when you're working with somebody that maybe has poor interoception, how do you navigate that in terms of helping them with recovery to find hunger and fullness cues? 
Well, you just, it's, um, that's another huge subject as part of the training. Um, but you just, mm-hmm. you, you, you work with the, um, in a very, very person centered way to, I've got some wonderful books. I'll, I'll, do you want me to send you some books that, that will help with that? Oh, that would be absolutely lovely. Yeah. yeah. So I've got some amazing books here. The interoception and regulation is, I love it. Um, because it's really at the interoception mind and it also looks at the gut and micro and we do a lot of that in our training um so it's a real mm. complex subject i mean we, we have a many modules just on the interception alone so uh does mm. that probably give you an idea of how broad <laughs> i mean I, I suppose when all the training that i i did some of them say you know how you know how do you you know how do you feel and what do you feel and you know what's your foot saying what's your arm you know and, and if someone stims mm. for example it's not so therapists have been taught to do so much about where do you feel it in your body what are you feeling at the moment well if they don't know internally what they're feeling that's mm-hmm. a really that makes them feel even worse about what they're doing because they don't genuinely know what they feel and where they feel it at the beginning of therapy mm, yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it how I think in eating disorder recovery because as part of an eating disorder so many people become so disconnected from themselves so much of recovery is about kind of reconnecting to yourself and really you know being able to feel things and being able to cope with that we're being able to cope with existing in your body basically mm-hmm. um and then somebody for somebody that's neurodiverse they're not only being asked to you know on top of the eating disorder do that but then also it's something that maybe is so difficult for them with their neurodiversity as well so i guess that's another aspect where we really need to focus on the individual because you know for somebody who's not who's neurotypical it might be difficult to kind of learn to be in their body and to listen to hunger because I think that's something that we have to experience in recovery anyway Mm -hmm. then to add the difficulty and maybe the kind of trauma and the uncomfortableness that that may bring up in a in somebody that's neurodiverse I can imagine is another thing to consider it's huge and 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 the whole thing of you know and and eating disorders themselves they like post-traumatic stress over time um, so, mm. so you're 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 working with the trauma, regardless of what you do. It's it's extremely traumatic mm. to have an eating disorder and to live with an eating mm. disorder. And as you know yourself, it's uh, it's certainly not for the faint-hearted. It's it's hell. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really interesting. It's something that a friend said to me a while back, but I'd never really considered it before in that having an eating disorder is a trauma and there is going to be a lot of long lasting effects from that trauma. And I think sometimes, you know, when people talk about eating disorder and, you know, it can be a cause of an eating disorder, you know, trauma separate from that. Mm -hmm. But I think that our, in society, our, idea of the meaning behind the word trauma has made it that it's this big explosion that happens in your life but you know actually it it can be suffering from an eating disorder for years and years and years or it 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 could be something that to somebody else seems insignificant but to you has had a massive impact that's caused big changes in your life and it builds and it builds and it builds and one builds Mm. on the other and the other builds onto the other and you know, before we know we are, we have a, a whole string of traumas. Yeah. So it's something about yeah. very much looking at the, the 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 person and the trauma and 
And by the time people come to me over the, you know, the, the first thing of so many years I've worked has often been helping them to overcome the trauma of being an inpatient. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bernie, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to chat to you. And I feel like this conversation was so much more than I was not expecting but I think that we really went down some good conversation points so thank you so much My, where can people go to find out more about you to keep in contact with the work that you're doing um well if they want um if they want therapists who are excellent with eating disorders and the neurodivergent client um so if you're not if people aren't neurodivergent the national center have got a great list of um of, of therapists that I, I I know a lot of them um, and I've also got a lot of supervisees and people working with me, um, and who, who, who I've got who are really excellent with neurodiversions. And we've got some um, great people for nutrition and dietitians. That, so, so if you want that whole sort of overview, so yeah, so Ned Training, you have Ned Training, N E D D E. Um, and that's where you'll find us. And you'll find we've got lots of courses. We've got some great courses at the moment, actually, one on body image um, that we're doing, um, which is great. And that's at the, at the moment. Until midnight tonight, it's half price. But, but if, you, mm. if, if you're here on here, we'll still give you the half price for that one. <laughs> Ooh, you heard it here, everyone. Yeah, that's, um, that's in January. We know we've, got, we've got some really great courses, but a lot of people who are – um, stuff with eating disorders have got some really chronic body image and we've got some great mm. great speakers actually in January we're going to do some training on that Another thing. well thank you so much okay. it's been such a pleasure to speak to you um I will let you go and have your evening now um, yeah thank you very it's been lovely nice meeting you finally well I know we've been trying a lot yeah. to get to do this yeah. <laughs> crazy so but lovely to meet yeah, you. Absolutely. Hope yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. To the people who are neurodivergent because there's one in five of us out there. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.